Okay, Brother Frank told me to come up here and give y'all all a very stern look. Was that good? <laughs> well, okay, so it's a, that's the best I can do. Sorry. Uh, glad everybody's here tonight. And I, I have faith that we will be blessed like last night. And I already feel revived, and I know I'll feel more revived tonight. I love this. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to call my brother Scott Pomeroy up and pray with him, and we'll get this thing started. Yeah, amen. Father God, I just uh, I lift uh, my brothers and my sister here up to you, Lord. I pray that uh, you'll use them that you will speak through them, whether it's in word or whether it's in song, Lord. And I just pray that uh, that we will glean from what is said today, uh, tonight, Lord, uh, what you would have us to learn and uh, touch our hearts tonight, God. Thank you for the love that you give us. I pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.
gift and it's good to see you um, honoring and using that gift. Um, so it's good to see you guys for night two of three. Um, those over here last night, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I pray that the Holy Spirit, and that's what it all was, and none of me, uh, and to make much of Him and none of me um, when we leave this place tonight as well. Um, but we talked about what it looks like to run the race uh, that we're called to run to gain the imperishable crown of the crown of salvation, the crown of righteousness depending on where you're at in your race or where you're at in your walk. So before we get started this evening, let's, let's bow our heads and, and open up. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just love you. We thank you, Father. We thank you again for another wonderful uh, night, uh, another wonderful breath, Father, that you have given us to breathe. Lord, I just pray and give you thanks for everything that we take for granted, Father, but everything that we do not, Father, because every good thing comes from you, Father. We love you. We thank you for all things in our lives, Father. Lord, I thank You for the, the, the big moon tonight, Father, just to show us Your presence through this beautiful sunset that we had, Father, and then the beautiful moon rising that gives us the seasons, Father, that shows us who You are and what You are, Father. Lord, we thank You for Your beauty. We thank You for Your grace and mercy, Father. Lord, I pray that You would run rampant through this church building tonight, Father. Lord, we are the church as the Christians and Your children, Father. But Lord, I pray that You'd run rampant through this place tonight, that if there's anybody in this room that does not have a relationship with You, Father, that that would change before they leave those doors at the end of this building, Father. And Lord, those in here, Father, that do have a relationship with You, Father, I pray that it would grow. I pray that it would be ignited to burn bright inside of them where all can see, Father. As we're going to be looking tonight, Father, thank You, God, for this message about how to be a contagious Christian, Father, as I know that's what You've called us to be. So Lord, I just pray that uh, Your blessing would be upon the fellowship, the leadership, and this church grounds tonight, Father. In Your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, so as we get started this evening, I want to think back and remember what we discussed last night um, in this three-session series. 
um, on what it takes to be uh, running the race that we call the Christian life to bring God glory. Because I would hope and pray that you didn't just come say some idle prayer one day and that you just stopped and thought that that was the end of it. Um, because I may have brought God glory for that moment, but that's not what He it, 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 it's not what He wanted for your life. He wanted that to be an everyday, all-day deal. So, just a couple points I want to touch on before we move into tonight's message, just so we can kind of bring up the bring up the speed to those that are here. Um, I just want to make sure that uh, we're all on the same page. So, um, I don't know why this keeps doing that to me. Um, there we go. So as we get started, the first main point I want to re- reveal to you again in this revival is the real question of where are you at in your race? Are you even in this race? And then the next point I would ask is that what is the gospel according to you? We talked about that last night. I think that's a very important question um, as we remembered because if we don't know what the gospel is and if we don't understand what it means to us, then we're probably not sharing that with others, which is what we have been called uh, to be as men and women of God, as children of God. And the other thing I would ask is that knowing that you have accepted Jesus, if you are in this room and you are a Christian, and that you're out of the starting blocks, as we said last night, what kind of race are you running in this marathon called the Christian life? Are you running through it with a lot of extra weight and baggage as we talked about last night? Or are you trying to lay off those sins, lay off that baggage and every weight that clings so tightly to us as we talked about in Hebrews 12 last night? Because it's very important to remember that the weight and bag in question, weight and 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 uh, sins in question is the baggage that we put on us that just holds us down and bounds us up to where we can't even move. It's like I said last night about having weeds wrapped around your ankles to where you just fall over face first or on your back. So it's very important that we daily and all day, if need be, until we can get to where we need to be, to be laying those things down and repenting of those things and asking God to help us to come into us to remove those things, to repent, to be cleansed. And when we do that, that's called repentance. And see, this isn't something that is preached anymore in churches. It may be preached in this church because I have a little bit of a connection with your pastor, but in most churches, repentance is not preached anymore. And that's a fallacy, right? Because that's what Jesus talks about throughout His whole time in His ministry is repentance through relationship, right? Because conviction continues to repentance, which continues to reconciliation and restoration. Right. So when we don't do conviction, when we feel like we're not convicted, we don't feel like we need to repent. And if we feel convicted, if we don't repent, it's very hard to have restoration at that point without true repentance. And I think it's crazy that this is not preached in our pulpits anymore. But I wanted to tell you real quick what the Merriam, Merriam Dictionary, Webster Dictionary definition of repentance is to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. Completely, completely turn, completely change. Not partway, not halfway, not almost, but completely changed. As we talked about last night in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says the old is gone, the new has come. And it doesn't say that just because the new has come that we keep going back and finding the old. The old is gone for a reason. And it doesn't need to keep coming up and doesn't need to keep finding itself in our lives. This means a sincere turning away both in mind and heart, or better yet, with your mouth and your actions. You know, I used to use a quote a lot that I think it was Francis Assisi's or something that said, um, do all you can and if you have to, use words. And I don't believe in that anymore because I believe God calls us to use words. God calls us to go and take action. And I believe it has to be a combination of both because there's a lot of pastors that fill pulpits and there's a lot of Sunday school teachers that fill Sunday school classes 
that are not walking the walk that they're preaching. Right? And that's something that I've, that's been heavy on my heart. And this is a good time of a revival that we remember that. Because it's very easy, as we talked about last night, the routines and the way of the world and the pressure of the world coming upon us to not care about that anymore. But that's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to repentance. And through that repentance, that means relationship. And we get closer to Him. And we can start hearing those audible voices. And we can start seeing where God is moving in our lives to know that He is there. Right? You want to know why you may not feel God in your life? Where's your repentance at? Where's your conviction at? Where's your relationship at? Because all those things, and I'm not going to say you're going to have some miracle thing every day, right? But I praise God that I see God in tons of things now that I never saw Him in 10 years ago. And I ask and I beg and I pray for God, reveal yourself to me. And I'm not talking about in some crazy way that you say some fanatical thing, but reveal yourself to me to know that I am the man that you're wanting me to be. And if not, rip and remove whatever it takes as we talked about last night with the fire. Fire hurts. Fire purifies. Fire makes us clean again. So I'd ask you again, what is the Gospel according to you? And the reason why this means so much as we covered is because it's the only Gospel some people may ever see. The Gospel that you're preaching and the Gospel that you may say that you have may be the only Gospel that some people will ever see. Some people may never darken the doorway of a church. But remember, we are the church. As Christians, as the body of Christ, when He's talking about the body, when Jesus talks about the body, He's not talking about a building. He's talking about the members of the body, which is all of us. And it's very important that we remember that. So if the Gospel doesn't really mean anything to you, there again, there's a serious heart condition that you need to get rectified immediately. I call it a heart transplant. You need to get a heart transplant. And don't leave this place tonight. If you don't, if you don't have the right heart, get a heart transplant. God's the best physician I've ever met in my life. right? And so don't leave here without having that transplant. And it's free. You can't get a heart transplant anywhere else under a million dollars. You can get one here tonight for free. And it'll be the best one that you'll ever have. I promise you. I promise you. But as we move into this evening session, it's very important to remember where we've been. So knowing and remembering what endurance means uh, and adding to that the question of what does the gospel mean to you is they have the utmost importance as we look at what it means to be a contagious Christian tonight. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll go ahead and start opening them up and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That's kind of where we're going to be hanging out uh, for the most part tonight. Um, If you don't have a Bible, I know there's some uh, around the pews and in the pews. I'd encourage you to open your Word, and, and I don't know how Frank feels about this, but I'm, I'm big on my students not using their phones, because that's not the divine Word of God, right? And so, if you, that's all you have, praise God, and use it, but it's really good to get into God's Word and get that connection with God and let it speak to you from the pages. Um, so knowing and remembering what we've talked about about endurance and what it takes to be, uh, to be able to run the race no matter what happens in your life, to be able to endure as we talked about last night, we're going to look tonight and see what it takes to be a contagious Christian. So Paul, in today's message, in today's passages, here in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-27, and this is where we're going to be hanging out, we're going to look and see what Paul said, what he thought, and how he lived his life of what it looked like to be a contagious Christian. Um, so Paul's uh, in today's passage, is talking about our example, our method, our witness, and in the way in which he lived life, in doing so, encourages us to do the same. So... Um, I want us to go in there and turn and look at that here in just a second. But I have a couple questions, and by the end of this tonight's session, I hope that we can answer these questions. And it's amazing. I told Frank earlier, uh, just today, I had this prepared over a month ago, all three sessions. And it's amazing how yesterday I got convicted to go and change a bunch of things that God really put heavy on my heart. And then today, at the last minute, 
uh, again today, I felt the Holy Spirit moving me to go back through and look at what I had, had prepared and had changed a few things. So if I seem like I'm jumping, that's why, and I apologize for that, but I'm never going to say no to the Holy Spirit. I'm just being honest with you, right? And so I'd rather be uh, not 100% on track here and give you what God wanted me to give you than it be me, because I don't want you to think of me any. I want it to be all about God, right? So, but the first question I would ask is, how do we run a contagious race? And I'm sure there's probably nobody in this room that's ever asked themselves that question before. But I think it's a very pertinent question that we should be asking. God, I want to be more contagious, right? I want to be like Ebola, so to speak. And I know that's a rough reference, but I want to spread like wildfire for the gospel. I want when people see me to want to have what I have, right? I want them to be able to have the Word of God, to have the prayer life, to have the relationship, to have all the things that God desires for us to have. And then the second question would be how do we look through how do we look to others? How do we look at others through the eyes of Jesus? That's a very hard thing to do, especially when people uh, that we don't like very much we are called to go and witness to. Because I'm sure we all have somebody in our lives that we don't care for very much, but you feel a tug on your heart to either reconcile or you feel a tug on your heart to go and share the gospel with. It makes it very hard to see those people, and sometimes it's in church. Sometimes you have an angst with somebody and you see them every Sunday and you just walk the other way. You just walk the other way. Walk the other way. And that's being the opposite of what contagious means, to be honest with you, right? And so we're not called to do that, but to look to people through the eyes of Jesus. And I seriously believe that until we answer both of these questions effectively, we won't truly be able to fulfill what the Great Commission is, as we talked about last night, which is a Christian's lifelong goal that never ends. Remember, it's very easy for us to know what our mission is as Christians love God, love people, spread the gospel. Very simple but we make it into some big ordeal. Well, I don't know all the Bible, so I can't go witness to somebody. Love God. Easy. On your knees. Begging God to pour into you. Love people. Man, and we make it so much harder than it has to be. Spread the Gospel. I gave my, my, my students a card that had John 3.16 on it and Romans 10.9, and that's the Gospel. And it's very easy to memorize two Scriptures and be able to go and share with people. What they do from that point, you've planted a seed. Their salvation is not your problem anymore. You've done what is told for you to do is to go and spread the Gospel. And then you pray for them and hope water comes and that God prepares the harvest for you to see. But you may not see it. But we are called to spread it regardless. Um, and we are called to make disciples. Matthew twenty nineteen says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It never says in there, go make converts. There's a difference. It says, go make disciples. You need to be trying to witness the people to where they want to come and be willing learners. As we talked about last night, the word disciple means willing learner. You don't want to just go cram the Bible down somebody's throat until they get tired and say, okay, I accept Jesus. Then you may have created a convert, not somebody that really wants to have a love and fire and relationship with Jesus Christ. Because there's a big difference, right? And I think our churches are full of a lot of people that have walked an aisle and said an idle prayer, sat down and are done. Right? There's going to be a, uh, there's a reason why Matthew 7 clearly says that there's two roads. One is wide and one is narrow. Right? And so it's important the way that we share the gospel uh, in, a, in a fashion and form that we've been called to. So as we get into tonight's study, follow along with me as I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 27, where Paul's talking here, again, what I said about character and what he felt that it took to be able to spread the gospel in a, in a godly way. It says, starting in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. 
to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself, being myself under the law, that I might win those that are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might uh, win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I want to make stop just for a second there. It doesn't say you're going to win everybody that you preach to and spread the gospel to and witness to. It says, I have become all things to all men that I might save some. And we've got to remember, that's God's job. It's our job to plant seeds and to be a gardener. After that, it's God's job to gain the harvest. Very important because we can get beat up, beat down, and like we talked about last night, be laying in that ditch and say, I'm done. And just forget about sharing the Gospel anymore because not everybody responded the way that you thought they should. So verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the Gospel. This is where a lot of pastors today, I think, fail. And I hate to say that as a pastor myself because I love the pulpit. I do it all for the sake of the Gospel. And I think that's been lost in a lot of churches today. Right? I do it all for the sake of the Gospel. I cannot repeat that enough because that is so important that anything we do, it's very easy for us to get prideful and say, oh man, look, I I helped lead them to Christ. Yeah, praise God for that. But it's them that's at Christ. Right? You just were an obedient servant doing what you have called to do for the sake of the Gospel. Very important that, that message from Paul there. That I may share with them in its blessings. That's where it's important for us. It's not that, oh, look at what I did. It's that, praise God, come alongside and let's get another active part of the body going. right? So we can be a healthy body and we can share in the blessings together. Verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after I preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. All right, so it's a very important. What he's talking about there at the end is he's walking the walk, right? And that's very important for us to understand that we need to be walking the walk. So that's good stuff right there. And so first we're going to look at is what how to be uh, contagious by having a servant's eyes. Being able to see people through the eyes of Jesus and not immediately judge them, which is a lot of human nature. And it takes a lot of behavioral modification sometimes and a lot of reliance upon God not to walk down downtown Austin or downtown San Antonio and say, wow, look at them freaks. Or wow, look at them people. Right? And that's not looking through the eyes of Jesus because you've got to remember whether they know Jesus or not, Jesus created them. And they were all here breathed by God's Word in the womb. And so it's very important because that can really deter you and how you spread the Gospel. Because you may jump to the other side of the road because they're walking your way when God's telling you, you know what, you've got to stop and say hi to that person. Doesn't necessarily mean you've got to cram the Bible down the throat. Sometimes just a hi, just a warm welcome will change a man's life, change the day, change a guy's or, or female's life for the day. But I want to be sure that we see the main part of the description because for me, it says in the very beginning, in verse 19, I have made myself a servant. I have made myself a servant. So I'd ask you, have you ever asked yourself that question before? Have I made myself a servant for God? Am I a servant for God? Or am I just somebody that leeches? And I know that's a harsh word to say. But are you a servant? Or are you a leech? Are you hanging on just because you want to suck everything that you can out of something? Or are you hanging on just to get all the rewards and benefits? Are you here to be a humble servant as Paul talks about here 
to be somebody that gives to the body. That, as we talked about last night, you know, the church is supposed to be, as it talks about in 1 Corinthians, an active, healthy body, not something with cancer that's having to be grafted off one right after another, after another, after another. We're called to be a healthy body to be able to go out and, and be healthy into the community and provide Jesus in the lost and dark and dying world. Um, this isn't always the easiest thing to do, especially, as I said earlier, when you have people that are very hard to serve. Um, it, it makes it very difficult for our lives. Um, but one of the one of the life verses that I have, and I'd encourage you to just look at it at least, because for me, there's two things that Jesus taught more than anything. Humility and servanthood, as we talked about last night. And then the two things I think that are missing from our nation the most is humility and servanthood. And I think that's because, again, we've tried to graft out God and graft out Jesus out of everything anymore, starting with our school system. And for me, a life verse for me, and it's our student ministries verse at our church, is John 3.30. It's one of the smallest verses in the Bible, and to me it has one of the most impacts out of any word in the Gospel. And it's simple. He must increase, we must decrease. Think about that for a minute. He must increase in our lives, and we must decrease. Right? And it removes every bit of pride, every bit of selfishness. It put God, it puts God where He belongs, which is on His throne. It puts Jesus at the center of our life, and it means everything to us when we really meditate on that and realize that He comes before anything. He's been there long before we came, and He'll be there long after we're gone. And so He, he belongs and deserves to be in that place. Sorry, guys. Um, he must increase. We must decrease. It's very important. The two main things I see Jesus teaching in, throughout His ministry is humility and servanthood. You never see Him just beating people over the head. But one thing you do see, and everybody that He talks to, is go and sin no more. Man, that's left the church too, hasn't it? Right? Why is that, you think? Because it's conviction. That doesn't feel cues and it doesn't feel plates as we talked about last night. People don't want to look at themselves. People don't want to change. People want to do what they want to do. And society is pushing that down our throats. Whatever makes you happy, do as much of it as you can so you can stay happy. Doesn't matter who it hurts. Doesn't matter what it costs. Just do whatever you want, as much of it as you want, and do what's going to make you happy. Completely lost all humility in our society today. Serve somebody else? Really? i got to do that? Serve somebody else on a regular basis? Wow, I can't do that. Remember, what does the word Christian mean? Christ-like. Do we really want to be Christ-like? Or do we just want to come and hang out? Do we want to be a fan or do we want to be a follower? As the speaker told us the other night. I think that's very important. Do we want to be a fan that just sits back and watches? Or do we want to be a follower of Jesus? That's a very big, big, big difference. And it doesn't say, well, if you look at this, uh, it states in, in verse 19 that tonight's text, it's because uh, we might win more of them to Christ in His kingdom. It doesn't say that we're going to win all of them, as I stated earlier, but we might win more of them uh, to His kingdom, which is very important. And it doesn't say all of them, but more of them. We can't fix the world by being contagious for Jesus and hopefully change our lives to look more like Him. He can fix the world. We're just called to be contagious enough to where people want what we have. right? But we have to know that He created this world, He can fix this world, and He can change this world. And as we talked about last night, He calls us to be co-laborers in this to do that, to get that out, to make that happen. And when you look at it as that I'm a co-laborer with Jesus, I guarantee you it would make you look at sharing the Gospel in a lot bigger and a lot different way. As I shared last night, the, the, the praise band the other night talked about what, how much better would you worship if Jesus was sitting beside you? Man, that's so important. Because guess what? He is. 
right? Because He's everywhere. We serve an omnipresent God that is everywhere. Even in that darkest of place in your life where you think He's not there, He's there. Even when you're looking at what you shouldn't be looking at, doing what you shouldn't be doing, going where you shouldn't go, guess what? He's there. He sees all of that. Right? It's very important. We must humble ourselves to be contagious. That's one of the biggest things. But look in, notice in verse 19 that while it was not necessary for Paul to please anyone because he states here uh, in, in verse 19, right towards the beginning, I am free from all. He counted himself a servant or a slave to all. He didn't say it didn't matter what race, because he talks about several different races here. It doesn't matter uh, what affliction those people might have. He says, I have become a servant to all people, no matter the race, no matter the color, no matter the ethnicity, no matter the money, no matter the status, no matter the, the knowledge, everything. And we're going to break that down about what he talks about here. He placed himself under bondage to three different types of people as we see in this in this scripture. So if you'll read with, uh, come and follow along with me, verses 20 through 22. And I want to see the people that we're talking about here. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those that are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. Uh, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. See, it's very important that we understand when you're free from all, you can serve all. I want to say that again. When you're free from all things, you can serve all people. We talked about last night serving the audience of one. We serve the audience of one. And that's God. And we need to make sure that we understand that because then we can serve people in a lot different manner when we understand that. See, when you're free from all, you can strive to be a servant to all. When you realize that you serve God first, then it makes it much easier to serve even the hardest of people that it may be in your life to serve. You know, I know a, I know a family, um, and it's amazing because these are grown folk. These are older folk. Um, come with three or four different siblings, and they're all probably 60 plus. And it's amazing how when they have family events, None of them can be in the same room together. Grown folk, supposed to be godly people, can't be in the same room together because they can't get along. And they have so many things against one another. And it's all over trivial, childish things that happened 20 and 30 years ago. And it always just boggles my mind how they can go to church every Sunday, hear about repentance, know what needs to be done, and then can't even be in the same room together. Again, are you a servant to all? Are you a servant to who you choose? It's very important. Because if you can be a servant to all and know that you serve God first, there really ain't nobody that you can really have an angst with. There really shouldn't be anybody that you should be able to hold a grudge against. Because if you're holding a grudge, you're really holding a grudge against Him, not them. Think about that for just a minute. You know, It's very important that we understand that we've got to get rid of all those things. We really need to see that starting in verse 20 here, whether it would be the Jews who strictly spent their lives following the Jewish covenant or the law as it talks about here, and verse 21, or to the Gentiles who didn't have a law at all, and then verse 22, the weak, which would mostly have been the oppressed, the downtrodden, and the uneducated. He was willing to serve anyone that came across his path. And that's what it means to be a contagious Christian. That's what it means to be willing to have endurance, to run the race no matter what comes against you, to be able to serve as a contagious Christian to all. What he's saying here is that he wanted to be sure that he didn't act too good and mighty 
for the lowly and not look down on his nose at them. I have a problem, as I, I am very adamant about, pastors and church folk that think that they are better than other people, right? Because our whole goal, as I said yesterday, the ministry should start outside that door, not inside the door. That's where discipleship starts. The gospel starts outside that door. And if we're going to bring people inside God's house, we need to be acting like they belong here. No matter what they have wrong with them. No matter how many earrings they have in their ear. No matter how many tattoos they have on their arm. No matter what kind of clothing they wear. My brother said tonight, it's our job to catch them, it's his job to clean them. Remember that. That's very important the way we treat people in our daily lives. Because remember, this isn't the church. We're the church. What representation are we being of Jesus Christ in the world? Right? Yes, this place is to be honored. Yes, this place is to have reverence. Yes, this place is to be respected. Because God has blessed us to have it, to come and freely meet and fellowship as an active, healthy body. But that doesn't mean that a healthy body doesn't get sick from time to time and have people come in that are broken. An active body should be a hospital, not a country club. And so many churches today have turned into country clubs and have forgot about, hey, we needed that hospital one day. We were a patient in that home. We were a patient in that hospital once before. We didn't just come and join a country club, right? All of us have had broken moments in our lives, and it's so easy for us to treat people differently than Jesus would have treated them, but yet still wear the, the badge of honor that I'm a Christian and completely remember or completely forget, excuse me, what that means to be Christ like. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that we understood that. But he was made, also want to make sure that you understand Paul here was clear to deliver the gospel, to meet them where they were, to make the gospel clear to them at their level, their education, and their concert, uh, when they could comprehend what he was trying to say. He never changed the word. He never stripped and twisted and torn like we see so many times happen today. But he got on their level and used uh, analogies and illustrations that they would understand, just as Jesus did, as we'll see in a few minutes as well. And we see Jesus do this on the Sermon on the Mount as we talked about. He goes up on the side of the mountain. I was just talking to Frank about this earlier. In Matthew 5.1, Jesus goes up on the side of a mountain knowing there's thousands of people around. And He sits humbly in His humble attire on the ground. On the dirt ground. And then He opens up to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and starts telling them, this is what character looks like, men. This is what I want you to be as My disciples. And then He goes into the salt and light. And then He goes into the law throughout Matthew. But I want to make sure we don't forget and understand the one thing that He did that Sometimes we never do. And it hit me so profoundly here about a year ago sharing with Frank. He opened his mouth. That may not hit you yet. I hope tonight when you're laying in bed, that hits you. He opened his mouth. Because those disciplines of character, those disciplines of beatitudes, those disciplines of all the things that he wanted his disciples to know would have never happened if he never opened his mouth. How often do we not open our mouths? How often are we not willing to get down at somebody's level? You know, it's amazing. I, I love teaching children's church once one Sunday a month because they, they said, you got too much on your plate. I never have too much on my plate for my children. Because I want to be able to get down on their level and, and speak the Gospel. I want to get down on their level and be able to tell the Gospel and speak the Gospel to them in a way that they are related to it. Not like I'm better than them. Not like I'm higher than them. Not that I'm anybody. You see me up here in shorts today? That's who I am. And I'm not going to change that for anybody. Because I believe that God created me to be a man to be down with His sheep. He created me to be a shepherd to be down with His flock. And understand and be able to relate to and try to help them through whatever situation. 
And if I get judged for that, man, I don't mean to be a stumbling block to anybody. That's not my goal. But I believe He's created me to be a shepherd, to be with the sheep. And to smell like whatever they're in. Praise God. Because in a body, we're connected together. Praise God, right? I mean, we're connected together. You hurt, I hurt. I hurt, I hope that you hurt. Because that's what God created us to be in unity when He sat down on that mountain to speak to those godly men that were filth. I was one of those men. I was filth. And praise God, Jesus got down on my level to sit with me and to help understand and be able to relieve all that pressure from me and to be able to take all those things away from me. Because I think that's so very important that we have forgotten about so much. Paul's passion for Jesus allowed him to see others through servants' eyes. So I would encourage you tonight to gain servants' eyes if you don't have them already and be able to refine that gift of having servants' eyes to look at people as Jesus would see them. That's very important. But we're seeing here where it states all things and by all uh, means in context within the bounds of God's Word. I want to make sure we understand Paul doesn't say here that we have to make up our own Gospel. Because everything in here is true. Everything in here is right. Everything is made exactly the way it needs to be made. We don't have to make it up and we don't have to twist it to fit. And it's amazing how there's a man in Houston that preaches to millions of people every Sunday and never opens this but claims himself as a preacher. It's amazing how he can twist and tear and turn and make millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of dollars and send in millions of people a week straight to hell. I'm not going to say names, but I'm not, you're not stupid either, and I'm just being honest with you, but that's, there's going to be a special place for that gentleman, right? Because 1 Corinthians tells us as well that on the day of judgment, it won't be anybody else in this room standing there with me. It's going to be me and my Father. And I will be accountable for everything I said and everything I've done, just as you will be. Right? And that's why we are to be contagious with what the Gospel states, not with what our actions are, but with what the Gospel states, and never, as Paul talks about here, to twist and turn and rip the Word apart. It wasn't meant or written to be that way. It's perfect in its own. So why do we talk about it? It talks about Revelations 22, that anything that's added or taken away to God's Word, the plagues that you would never imagine will come upon you. And so these men and women that do that every day in the pulpits and lead and teach people, Man, I feel bad for them when that comes down to them. Because God's Word is clear. God's Word is clear about those, typical, those type of things. Uh, but I want to make sure we understand, he never, he never changed the Gospel. He just got on their level. And He made it understandable for them to be able to understand. It's very important when we're trying to reach people. He would not offend the Jews, the Gentile, or those that may be not able to understand God's Word. You know, there's a lot of, there's still even, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy, but there's a couple of older gentlemen at our church that can't read. And so, I have no problem spending time with them and trying to go through the Word. Right? And it's amazing how much of a relationship they can't read but have a relationship with Jesus like most of my Sunday school teachers don't. Right? Explain that to me. Because they understand what having a relationship with Jesus looks like and what it means, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be able to understand everything in God's Word. What they understand is that having a relationship with Jesus means everything. And anything beyond that, hey, God will get you there. Because there may be some of you in this room, like I tell my students sometimes, they'll tell me, well, I'm too young. I can't go preach the Gospel. I don't know how to read very well. I can't go preach the Gospel. Really? Moses couldn't talk. But he sent Aaron with him to go do it. Right? doesn't mean that you have to do it even. You just have to be willing. Contagiously willing to spread the Gospel. Intentional discipleship for your life, which will spread into others. Very important. Forgive me. But Paul wouldn't teach in a way, or Paul would teach in a way, um, that could, would, could and would lead to salvation in people to make genuine disciples, not just converts. 
Um, because, you know, when I, I said that last night, about 83% of this nation claiming to be Christian, and we can look around and just laugh at that statement, because anybody that has a brain and can turn on a TV and read a newspaper know that that's a fallible joke. There's no way that that's even remotely possible. Um, but Paul states in Romans 9.3, For I wish that myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. This means he had an extremely deep love for people. We are called to have an extremely deep love for people. All people of every tribe and nation. I want to take a moment now and show you more about Paul's heart. So if you'll turn with me over to 2 Corinthians, just a little bit to the right. And we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want to tell you and show you here um, who Paul was. And I'm a big fan of Paul because Paul was a big fan of Jesus. And so verse chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. This is what it looks like to be a contagious Christian. This is what it looks like to be on fire for God. Right? I'd encourage you to highlight these verses. And anytime you feel like you've had a bad day, and you may have, and I'm not trying to demean that in any way, shape, or form, come to these verses with me here. Verse 24, chapter 11, 2 Corinthians. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked at night, a day, and adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. Did you hear that? Danger from my own people. Danger in, from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, dangers at sea. Danger uh, from false brothers, danger from false brothers. You've got to be careful of that. And toil and hardship through many sleepless nights. And hunger and thirst, often without food. And cold and exposure. But I want you to listen to this last verse very, very carefully. And apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches. And apart from these things, there's this daily pressure of anxiety for all the churches. So even though he was beaten down, hungry, shipwrecked, cold, almost died, in prison, watching the, watching the captives be saved, watching the guards find Jesus, all these things, and he equates that to nothing in comparison to the anxiety for the lost. The anxiety for these churches that do not know Jesus Christ the way that he knows Jesus Christ. You want to talk about being contagious? You want to talk about being a man of God? Man, dude, like, when has that happened in your life? Just being honest with you, right? I mean, that should incite a fire in us to be saying like, wow, dude, like, I thought I had a bad day, but this homeboy right here has had it rough. You know what I'm saying? This dude right here has had everything in the world happen to him, almost right up there with Jesus. And what does he do? Because of Jesus, because he's a follower of Jesus, and he wants to be like Jesus, he has an anxiety for the lost like nobody else. That's what I'm talking about being contagious. Do we have that anxiety for everybody to know Jesus? Or do we just have that anxiety for just the closest to us? Or just those just down the road? Or those just down the neighborhood? Or do you have an anxiety that wherever you go, <laughs> my students think it's kind of funny sometimes when I share stories sometimes with them. Now, the people at the grocery store really don't like me very much. Because I'll go to Walmart, and I'll be checking out, and they'll say, I'll say, hey, how are you today? I'm good. Oh, and, they'll, and usually they'll say back, well, how are you? Oh, I'm blessed, sister. Let me tell you what happened today, and I'll just go right into the gospel with them. Standing right there in the grocery line. Right? Because I believe that's what means being contagious. I believe that's what Paul's talking about here. That every opportunity that we have to share the gospel, we should be. 
And I'm not talking about cramming Bible down people's throat. I'm talking about God gave everybody in this room a testimony. God gave everybody in this room a witness and a purpose and a plan and a reason to use that witness and testimony. So it can just be as simple as a conversation that leads right into the Gospel. Very easy. Very simple. And that's what we're called to be. It's contagious for the Gospel. Contagious for Jesus. Paul was contagious and it came through every fiber of his being, every pore of his existence. And so I would ask you again, as I said last night, what is the Gospel according to you? Right? And if you can't answer that question tonight, again, I'm hoping I'm giving you tools and I'm giving you experiences and I'm giving you instances straight out of God's Word that will help excite and ignite that riot in you for the Gospel to make you just want to burn bright for everybody. And see, after his encounter, after Paul's encounter with Jesus, he couldn't do anything but tell everybody about Jesus. So is it going to take you being blinded for a period of time before you realize who Jesus is? What? Think about that. Amen? Is it going to take you having some sort of huge dramatic thing in your life before you really count on Jesus? Like it did with Paul? Are you going to be like Nicodemus and maybe miss out? Because he didn't understand? He was so afraid he had to go meet Jesus at nighttime because he was afraid of his friends killing him? Chastising him? Casting him out of the Sanhedrin? Is that where you're at with your job today? Think about that for a minute. Are you so afraid of getting fired? You're so afraid of what they're going to think about you that you won't step out, step out and stand up? Because you're afraid of what's going to happen? Think about that for just a minute. Contagious. Contagious. Being contagious. Because Nicodemus could have lost it all when he went to go see Jesus at night. But he said, man, it just it pricked his heart so good. Jesus had pricked his heart. He'd heard about all the things that Jesus had did. Man, I've got to go see who this dude Jesus is. I've got to find out what's going on with this guy. And if that's you tonight, I pray that you don't leave this place without changing the condition of your heart. Because see, it never states that Nicodemus did that. Right? So, just make sure that we're never promised another day. We're never promised another hour. We're not ever promised another second, as I said last night. Because it's very important. See, after his encounter, he was a new man and never looked back. He was already fully aware of where he came from. He didn't have to go back and look at it. And everyone in this room could look back and know exactly where you came from. Today is a new day. And as God's Word says clearly throughout the Gospels many times, today is the day of your salvation. Repent and find Jesus. Today is the day of your salvation. Repent and find Jesus. Today is the day of your salvation. Repent and find Jesus. Because as I stated earlier, Jesus says over and over and over with those encounters with everybody you come into contact with, now go thee therefore, repent, and sin no more. Again, that's another thing that's not preached very much in churches today. right? Because it incites conviction. and People got to look at themselves and they say, I got to change? Well, I can't do this Jesus thing. If I got to change, I'm too comfortable where I'm at. That's what Paul was talking about here. Do you think Paul wanted to be in every one of these situations? Because he didn't have to be. He chose to be. And he chose to see people saved. He chose to see people on fire for God. Very important. And I'd ask you, have you ever felt this kind of pain or anxiety for the lost of this world that are headed to a devil's hell without accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior? Because it's happening at an alarming rate today. Our, our globe is, is full of people like never before. We have the largest population living on this planet that we've ever had. And with the lack of the Gospel being, especially just in our nation, our nation is, has more people in it than it's ever had. But yet the Gospel is smaller than it's ever been. Think about that. We'll truck in Bibles to a prison. We won't allow one to be read in a school. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And we wonder why we're in the situation that we're in and headed the direction that we're headed. We have got to be contagious. It has to start with the church. And we can't say we're too small. We can't say we're too ineffective. That's an excuse. That's all that is an excuse. 
You can't say, I don't have the words to speak. Because if Jesus Christ lives inside of you, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells you that He will bring down the mighty to have Him be glorified. He will bring down the strong to have Him be glorified. I'll never forget that. It's very important because I think we get beat up as I talked about last night and think that we can't do anything. Next, we'll see that we must be a servant for the sake of the Gospel as it talks about. Let's turn back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to make sure you're following along with me here. But it says, I do it all for the sake of the Gospel. We must be a servant for the sake of the Gospel. Because it's not going to get out any other way. Very important. So let's read the latter part of verse 22 and the 23. It says, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the Gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Wow, that's so important. Paul never compromised the Gospel but he did tend to change the method in which he presented it, the way he delivered it, to get down on their level. As we talked about, he adapted his approach to different groups. And when we look at it, we can see that Jesus did the exact same thing when he talked to the woman at the well, when he talked to Nicodemus, when he talked to uh, being born again, when he talked to the Jewish Pharisee, uh, all the Samaritan woman at the well. Many, many times, Jesus adapted his message when he talked to the fishermen. All these things, he talked to them where they would understand what He was trying to say and get across to them. And there's many, many more instances where Jesus got down with people on their level to help them be understandable. He was flexible in His method as to reach as many people right where they were. That's so important that we understand that because I think that's a big concept that we forget and so it makes us retreat and pull back and not do what God has put upon our hearts. And He didn't say, well, first you need to change everything and then come to Me. Because if that was the case, I wouldn't be here. Because I was about as foul as they come at one time, right? And praise God that there was a man in my life that didn't give up on me and kept praying for me and kept praying for me and kept praying for me for me to be where I am today, to get rid of all the junk in the trash and didn't allow me to leave the church, didn't force me out of the church. And it wouldn't, if it wasn't for him and God sending him to be this contagious Christian, I wouldn't be where I am today. Praise God for that man. Praise God for somebody being on fire for a piece of trash like me. Right? Amen for that. And I know there's some of you in this room that have a lot of those same kind of testimonies because it's very, very important. In many instances, Jesus met the people right where they were in the language and tone that they would understand immediately. He was flexible in his method to reach as many people, many people right where they were. Uh, not, and, and, he, and he didn't say that you had to be cleaned up first. On the contrary, he said things like, drop your nets and come follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. He never said, get rid of all this trash and, and, and that would be done with it. No, he said, follow me. And that's what he's telling us today as well. Follow me. That's what Paul was saying in the scripture in, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Follow me. Have the character of what God wants us to have. Matthew 5, throughout the, the Sermon on the Mount. Follow me. That all goes down to relationship. Jesus took the gospel to the people of many nations, just as we see Paul saying here. And the other thing it doesn't say is it doesn't say, well, if they show up at church, I'll talk to them. Who in here can say that you've done that before just by raising your hands? Anybody? Anybody bold enough to be honest? Wow. Okay, well, I know it's happened a lot, and it's happened to a lot of people I said, uh, I've talked to, that they won't share the gospel unless they walk through the doors. And again, that's not what the gospel is supposed to be. The gospel is supposed to be taken out and spread, right? Not only when they come in here, we need to be going and getting them to come in here. And as Christians, we expect people to come to church, but that's not what the Bible says about making disciples. It says, go therefore and make disciples, as I said earlier in Matthew 28, 19. Discipleship happens here, but making disciples Happens at your place of work, your school, H-E-B, Walmart. And here's a concept. How about starting in your home? Amen? Because that's where it starts. Because you come to church for less time than you go to Luby's on a Friday night. If your home ain't square, 
you're not square. I'm just being honest with you. And I'm saying that again from testimony and personal example. Yes, you can come here to get discipled, but if your home doesn't have the foundation of Jesus Christ, it's going to be very hard for you to live it every day. And if your home's not like that today, I'd encourage you to come at the, offer, at the invitation time tonight and get some changes done in your life. And it doesn't say that, well, if I'm at work and we're in a certain conversation or we go to a retreat together or if we just go to a concert, that's when I'll share Jesus with them. No, we need to be bold enough to know that, hey, I'm going to be honest with you because you can't fire me. And Frank, I hope you don't get mad at me. If you lose your job for spreading the gospel, do you not think Jesus is big enough to give you another job? Just being honest with you, right? If you lose an association of friends that you have because you're sharing Jesus, you probably don't need them as your association of friends. If you're in some sort of uh, outside group, whatever it is that it may be, and you can't share Jesus with them people, guess what? You probably don't need to be in that group. Think about that. We were just talking about somebody uh, uh, in a dating relationship kind of thing, and I told my students just the other day, hey, if you can't bring them to church, guess what? They don't want to come to church. Probably not somebody you need to be dating. Just being honest with you. Right? Because unequally yoked fits in every relationship that we have. If your friends don't want to spread, uh, send, come spend time with you at church, I'm not telling you to get rid of those friends, but I'm telling you to really define the relationship because if they don't want to be in church and they don't want to be where God wants them to be, man, you need to think about that because of who we surround ourselves with is who we will become. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And that's a, that's a promise, absolutely. But I want to tell you a quick tale. This is, <laughs> this is really, really comical, but it's truth, especially in our churches today. And again, I hope this doesn't upset anybody, and if it does, I apologize in advance. But it's about a man who was rolling a wheelbarrow back and forth across the Niagara River on a tightrope. Thousands of people on both sides of the banks were cheering him on. You can imagine the chaos in the crowd of anticipation and their adrenaline running high watching this go on. This is a pretty, pretty big feat. The news media and newspaper reporters were everywhere capturing the miraculous event. So the next, to step it up, he put a 200-pound sack of dirt inside the wheelbarrow and rolled it across and back, and the crowd roared in amazement and overjoyed in excitement to see this man do this. And then he stated to the crowd, Who believes I can roll a man in this wheelbarrow across the river? The crowd lost their minds, screaming and hollering, pumped up and said, encouraging him. And then he simply asked the crowd, the loud crowd cheering, Okay, so which one of you are going to volunteer? That's the way we are today, guys. We want to believe in Christ. We think He can do everything that we can do, or that He can do that He says He can do, but we don't ever want to truly follow Him. If He asks us to get in the wheelbarrow, no, I can't do that. That's a commitment. That's more than I'm willing to give. That's too much. Just like this, it's become a show in a lot of ways in our lives and not a true committed relationship to Jesus Christ. Because we want to say we believe, but we don't want to act like we believe on a daily basis. Very important. Very important to be contagious with everything. And see, although they had professed extreme belief he could do it, no one was willing to volunteer. And so it is the same with us today. A Christian striving to become contagious with their faith works to build bridges and not to put up walls by always having a contagious spirit. Understand that. That's very important because, again, a lot of times church folks want to look down their noses at folks and have disagreements and whatever, that doesn't give God honor or glory at all. We are to be bridge builders, not wall builders. We have got to be willing to not be right, but to be happy. Because I can promise you, when you crawl over that bridge that you built, that's where you're going to find Jesus waiting for you with a bag full of joy.
Because as long as you're having that ugly in your heart, Satan's winning. And then he's just going to build to it and build to it and build to it to the point to where your heart is so hardened. You know, me and my pastor were talking here a while back. He's an older gentleman. He wouldn't respect me saying that, but that's okay. He's not here. Um, but it was funny. We were talking about baptisms, and every church has to record how many baptisms they have throughout the year and so on and so forth. And he's been in ministry 35, 36 years, I believe. And so we were talking about different age groups of baptisms. And he said, you know, son, he said, uh, and we have a really tight relationship. He said, you know, he said, let me tell you something. He said, you know what, what, what really scares me? And we were talking about the sermon and how the anxiety of Paul to have for the lost. He said, do you know how many people I've baptized over the age of 50? And I was expecting some phenomenal number. 36 years in ministry, I expected it to be some crazy number. Zero. He said, why do you think that is? And I said, well, if I had to guess, I said, it's because their hearts are hardened so much for so many years of not laying things down at the cross, so many years of not being will, willing to be a bridge builder, so many years of holding hardness towards people that they think, well, I've got this. I've lived this long. I don't need Jesus anymore. I don't need that. I've, I've made it this far on my own. I don't need Jesus. Wow, man, that hit me like a hammer. And I hope it did you as well because, again, contagious Christians are bridge builders. I don't care how old you are. you got to build a bridge and get over it, right? If you want to claim the name, the only name that saves, he was a bridge builder, and he encourages us to be bridge builders, not wall builders. It's a matter of being uh, that one person is willing to look at another's world through the eyes of love and compassion as Jesus did. One desiring to build relationship with others no matter the situation. To be contagious, we must always be prepared. 2 Timothy 4.2 clearly states, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with complete patience and teaching. But what it doesn't say in that scripture is that preach the word if you're a pastor, preach the word if you're a Sunday school teacher, preach the word if you're a youth pastor. This is for everybody that wants to claim the name of Jesus. And everybody that claims the name of Jesus, you're a pastor. Just because you don't stand behind a pulpit and haven't been called to full-time ministry doesn't mean that you're not called to preach the word. And this clearly talks about that. I want to read that again. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Here about a month ago, uh, it was so amazing. And I, I guess, praise God, he was trying to test me on that, I guess. But um, we was at a function somewhere. Ah, I keep doing that. We were at a function somewhere and somebody asked, hey, can you come up and speak a little bit? And I was kind of like, uh, sure, yeah, absolutely. And it just flowed. I had no idea what I was going to say. It was on the whim. But again, we got to be ready in season and out of season. That doesn't happen by sitting on your blessed beloved and not learning anything about God's Word. Because how are you going to speak in season and out of season if you have no idea what to speak? But as I said earlier, every single person in this room that claims Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has been given a witness and a testimony to share with anybody at any given time about how great and glorious God has been in your life. You don't have to know all of Scripture to understand what God has changed in you. With the miracle working power of what's happened in your life that saved, changed, and remade you. And so I want to stress that. I would never get away from saying you don't need to learn God's Word. By no means. But don't use that as an excuse not to share the Gospel because that's what it becomes. And it becomes an excuse that gets greater and easier to say every time God puts, a, puts somebody on your heart to speak with. Well, I don't know enough about the Word. I can't talk to him today. Very important. We've all been given a witness and testimony. Many writings of the New Testament were regarding a Christian's race 
and the prize surrounding that race. So we're going to talk about that a little bit because it talks about it in here. Uh, they run uh, for an imperishable wreath, but we run for an imperishable. Uh, uh, they run for a perishable wreath. We run for an imperishable wreath. And especially what they call the foot race, because here, the race that we're talking about and what Jesus talks about and what Paul talks about many other times, talking about a foot race, the race was held in Olympic-style style stadium that had three stone pillars right down the center of it. And the reason for that is one would be at the beginning, one would be at the middle, and one would be at the end of the race course. And in this instance, the race course would have been about 606.75 feet long. Yeah, that's pretty exact. 606 feet long. And the reason being, remember we talked about that horse race last night? That you had to have that blinder, had to have that blinder focused because as it moved, you get off track and kill people, like the horse did, went up in the stands and, and ran over a bunch of people. It's the same thing here. They put those pillars in the stadium for that reason, to give them something to focus on. Okay, I'm at the first pillar, I gotta focus on that second pillar. And I gotta run the race that's been given to me strong, firm. And then when I get to the second pillar, I gotta look at the third pillar. And then when I get to the third pillar, i got to come back around and come back home to the finish line. We always need to stay focused absolutely on the race that we're running. It's very important. There's three lessons that we can learn from the foot race. First is that is the race itself. If you look at verse 24, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Remember this. All the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. That's very, very important because I want to make sure you understand that just because you didn't win first place, people don't just stop falling out of the race. When you watch the Olympics that were just here not too long ago, and they run, no matter if they're in first place or last place, they're giving all they got to get all the way back around to that finish line. And that's what this calls for us to do as well. We run the race no matter where we're at, whether we know every bit of Scripture that we can learn, or we're just barely learning and we're a babe in Christ. We need to be running that race like there's a goal at the end of that. And that's what he's talking about here, and we're going to get into what that is here in just a few minutes. Um, and but don't, I want to make sure we don't confuse the race with salvation. These are folks, again, that have already been saved. They're already in the race, they're running the race, and are on fire for God. But in other words, so many today think, and, and well, I walked in the aisle and said a small prayer, I'm done. That's not the way it works. Uh, that is not the way it works at all. That is the beginning of your race. That's the starting blocks of your race. Not the end of your race, which I think is, is, is too, um, too glorified today. Well, I got another number. I got another number. I got another person. Another person came to know Christ. It's about the condition of your heart, the change of your heart. As we talked about yesterday, Romans 10, 9. If you believe with your mind and confess with your heart, you are saved, right? It's about the heart. It's a change in the heart, a heart condition. Very important for us to understand. Look with me at verse 25 here. It says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. That is very important. And I want to speak quickly about the athlete and his preparation for race. And because I think that's something that's very important for us, how do we prepare to run our race every day? Because just laying around and wasting time, that's not preparation, right? That's not preparation to run the race for God. Every breath that we take, as I said here a couple months ago when I was here, when you understand and you realize that as humanity, we are the only thing that God got his hands dirty for And then when you think about we are the only things that he personally breathed a breath of air into our lungs, right? That means every heartbeat and every breath should mean something to you, should be utilized for something to glorify God. That doesn't mean you have to be just like Bible thumping. That's not what I'm talking about. But we have a purpose. We have a mission. We have a focus with our lives that everything we do 
tries to glorify God in some way, shape, or form as it talks about in Colossians 3.17 and 3.24. Very important that we are focused on task, on mission. But in that day and in the age, as we're talking about the race here, uh, for 10 months was required under the direction of trained judges or coaches to be a runner in these games. They were to abstain from anything that could hinder their training and also were required to follow a rigid diet and a standard of habits also requiring an athlete to live in the arena itself as so they could not be tempted. So how do you prepare to run your race of faith? Did you hear that? For 10 months, they had to be closely monitored and watched. How often are you opening your Bible? How often are you on your knees? How often are you asking God to teach you? How often are you asking God to lead you? If those are things that you can do on your couch, in your bed, in your office, in your workplace, as you're working, as you're driving... These are things that can be done all day long, not just when you come sit on the pew, as it talks about in Hebrews 5 or 6, and getting bottle-fed, force-fed milk every Sunday or every Wednesday. It's talking about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, that wanting to grow, that wanting to learn, wanting to come into Frank and say, Frank, teach me. Sunday school teacher, teach me. I want to learn. I want to grow. I don't want to be this baby in Christ. I did a milk challenge at our church a couple of years ago, and the kids uh, the kids enjoyed it a lot. Well, the girls did, but the guys did. Right? Took four gallons of milk, put it on a table, put two college students, one on each side, and a, and a trash can right here. And I said, I want you to drink that milk until you can't drink it anymore. And I made it a competition for them and gave them a prize at the end for the winner. And then as I was doing that, I had a, the biggest ribeye I could find on stage, and I'm cooking that ribeye. And I'm cooking that ribeye. And they're drinking this milk. And what do you think happens? He eventually starts coming back out, right? Because you can't drink milk forever. And the whole time, they're drinking this milk and drinking this milk and making themselves sick and making themselves sick. This nice, juicy, juicy ribeye. I almost couldn't preach it. It was so good sitting up here cooking. It was right there where everybody in the room could smell it. That's the way we are in our lives, guys, especially in our Christian walks. Do we want to keep being force-fed milk that's going to make us vomit and die? Or do we want to move on to the meat that's so sweet and juicy and has substance protein and all the things that we need for our life just as God's word does right because do you know why babies have to move off milk because you can't live on milk alone it will kill you so why do we feel in our Christian lives that we can live on milk alone we can live on only Sunday mornings we can live on only Wednesday or Thursday nights because that's not what we were designed to do we were designed to grow and the way we move on from the milk to the meat is by having a relationship in God's Word, by having a relationship on our knees, by begging our teachers to teach us, by begging to come and serve and be involved in some sort of a ministry, by begging to come and be a part of fellowship, not to just be a part of fellowship, but to be able to learn and grow. It's very important that we understand those things because when we continue to be force-fed milk, as I just expressed to you, what, what happens with our Christian walk, it never grows. It stays in that baby stage forever and we never become contagious like God is calling us to be. Paul is making a comparison between the physical race and the spiritual race here which gives this as his conclusion. If you want to win the spiritual race, you will have to train just as hard as those that win first place ribbon. You may not always win the first place ribbon, but we need to train and be prepared for the harvest, be prepared to win the race. Training includes three things: prayer, studying God's word, fellowship with other believers, and being hooked into some sort of ministry. Those kind of two go together. Prayer, studying God's Word, 
being in fellowship with other believers, and being hooked into a ministry somewhere, and or sharing your faith, to just name a few. Training requires a contagious heart, a contagious spirit, a contagious faith, and we need the church for this training. We need the body for this training. It's here for you, available for you to come and access. But it takes you to make the access possible. Because as as I told a young man the other day, hey, look, dude, I can buy you anything, take you anywhere you want to go, and show you whatever it is, you never want to receive it, and if you never want to open your eyes and open your heart, you're never going to change. Never going to happen. We have to be willing to be moldable for God. We have to be willing to be used for God. To be contagious, that means to be inactive. That means we have to be willing to go where He tells us to go. Talk to who He talks, tells us to talk to. So in closing today... I want to talk about one more thing. 2 Timothy 4.8 touches on something very... It says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all those who have loved His appearing. 1 Peter 5.4 states that when the chief shepherd appears, you will see, receive the unfading crown. We need to be running our race to receive the crown of righteousness. It's an imperishable crown. The crown that these guys would have received would have been this really ornate olive wreath, and it had been beautiful to set upon their head until two, two or three days later when it wilted and turned into nothing and eventually would just turn into dust. So many times today we think our riches are the nice cars or the houses. Hey, I'm a bike guy. The bikes, all these things. Me and one of my brothers just talked about the other day. The things that we put so much faith into where moth and rust will destroy God's word tells us that we are put our faith in Him, the imperishable gift, the imperishable salvation, the imperishable crown of righteousness, the imperishable eternal life that He promises us to have. And in doing that, we are to be contagious with that and not just keeping it in our back pockets, not just putting that nice, big, fancy family life Bible on your table and never opening it. It wasn't printed for that reason. Every Bible you have is to be printed to be used. Anybody that knows me, I have six or seven different Bibles, and they're all my best friends. And I've given some of my best friends away. But they mean something to me because I know everything that I need to know about life is right there. So many people struggle, and so many people go to doctors for pills and medicines and psychiatrists, and I'm not saying they're not needed. They are needed. But a lot of our problems could be fixed right here. Right here in God's Word. Right here on our knees, crying out to God to come into our lives in a mighty, powerful way. So as these guys come back up to lead us in worship at this time of invitation, again, guys, I pray that you would just not keep carrying around these besetting sins, not keep carrying around this baggage and weights that we talked about last night, and that you would be willing to get into the race if you don't know Jesus Christ. Get out of the starting block. Humble yourself and come and ask God to change your life tonight. Don't leave here the same way you came in. And I pray that if anything was said today, that you hear that more than anything. Don't leave here the same way you came in. Leave here different. Leave here changed. Leave here contagious for the gospel. And if you don't know what that means even after tonight, man, come see me. Come see Frank. Come see some of the other men in this church. Women, come see some of the other female leaders in this church if you feel comfortable doing that. But the whole point of it is, is we have been put here to be a body of believers, a productive body of believers, to be contagious for Outside of these doors, right? Because we're in church. We're in church. We're in church. They're not, and that's where we're supposed to be, right? Praise God that we come in here and get filled. You know, I had a 
pastor tell me one time, he says, you know, our cups are to be submerged, not just filled up so they run out throughout the week. We need to be submerging our cups in Jesus, submerging ourselves in Jesus. So when we go outside, the church walls, the, we want to call it the church walls, pouring out into everybody else. Not that we just have enough for us, because our God gives us enough for everybody. If we would just use it, He fills us if we ask Him to. He tells us that clearly. If you don't have knowledge, ask. If you don't have wisdom, ask. And He will provide. But you have to be willing to ask. Right? So tonight I pray that as I talked about relationships, if you have any relationships, anybody, as I said last night, they may be already gone. That you're carrying hurt, you're carrying anger, you're carrying frustration. Don't leave here tonight without getting that right with God. Lay that down. He's calling you to. If you're having problems in your marriage, man, don't be so prideful to say that I'm going to leave here the same way I came in here. Come up here and get some help. Come up here and ask for some prayer where you're at because it's not about me. God's where you're sitting right now, too. If you don't feel comfortable coming forward, ask Him right where you're at to come into your marriage, come into your relationships, to come into your life. Please bow your head with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you. I love you, Father. We thank you for this opportunity and this time to share your word. Father God, I pray that anything that was spoken here tonight that was not of you, Father, I pray that it would be removed, Father. Lord, I pray that you would bless every heart that's in this room. Father, Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that does not know you, Father, or maybe struggling on the line, Father, Lord, I just pray to you that uh, they would leave the same way they came in this room tonight, Father. Lord, if there's somebody in here that is hurting, maybe they've made some mistakes in their life, Father. Maybe they've made some decisions that are not honoring to you, Father. Lord, I pray that they would get rid of that guilt and that shame tonight, Father, that they would lay that at your feet, Father. Lord, you call for us to come humbly to your throne, Father. Lord, you've given us the scriptures to, to come to for everything that we need, Father. And one of those is Revelation 3.20, Father, where it says that you stand at the door and knock upon our hearts, Father. Lord, if we would just only open our hearts humbly, Father, you wish to come in and dine with us, Father. Lord, I just can't tell and can't say any other verse that claims a relationship closer than that, Father. That you want and beg for us to openly, daily open the door of our hearts so that you can come in and have fellowship with us, Father, because we are to be co-laborers with you. Lord, I thank you for that opportunity to be a co-laborer with you. I thank you for the opportunity to dine with you daily, Father. I pray that my brothers and sisters in this room would do that as well, Father. But again, Father, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, humble themselves, seek you, Father. Let you increase in their lives and them decrease, Father, to be where they need to be. Lord, I love you and I thank you. Well, this is your precious and holy name. Amen. Brian, if you don't feel comfortable praying with me, Brian's one of the pastors here. I know he'd love to pray with you. If you don't feel comfortable praying with a man, I know there's some women.